Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I was thinking about a joke this morning, and admittedly it's not very funny, but I think it kind of applies to what we're about to talk about here. So sometimes like economists are looking at something with the economy, and some smart person who's you know got a thousand PhDs, things like that, will kind of notice some sort of trend within the economy, and another economist will say back to him, well, sure, it works in practice, but does it work in theory? Which is not a very funny joke, I realize, but it's kind of one of those deals where uh, a lot of economists are sort of so in love with their economic theory that they almost don't pay attention enough to what's actually working in practice. And maybe there are a lot of kind of egghead academics who are kind of like that, but sometimes economists sort of get sort of, you know, painted with that broad brush. And I was sort of thinking about that as it relates to Georgia football, because there is a certain function for George in practice that clearly seems to be working but there are a lot of people who say I'm not quite so sure it works in theory like this seems to be working but I'm not sure it's supposed to be working my opinion is this the facts tell me something different my opinion can't be wrong therefore what I'm seeing with my own eyes and what everybody else is seeing with their own eyes therefore it must be wrong and everybody now going on two years seemingly has been trying to make sense of this. I'm talking about the Georgia offense here for a moment. And there's a guy named Jordan Rogers. You may know him, SEC Network Analyst. He was on a, uh, a show hosted by Jake Crane. That's a, a media type. And on this Crane & Company show, Jordan Rogers kind of went in hard on some of the things that he doesn't like with the Georgia offense. And in a roundabout way, I guess he's trying to give Stetson Bennett a compliment, although it is of clearly the backhanded variety. But in the midst of all of this, He's kind of ripping the Georgia offense here a little bit, and I don't know that everything that Rogers says in this clip is wrong, but it is an example of what I was saying there a moment ago, that there are people who ignore what happens in practice, in other words, what's unfolding in reality, because theoretically they don't think it should be possible, and they're so narcissistic in love with their own opinion that they assume that the facts must be wrong because their opinion can't be wrong, and I think that Jordan Davis is a little bit, uh, not Jordan Davis, by no means would we ever say anything bad about Jordan Davis, Jordan Rogers, who I have no problem saying something bad about, uh, I think that Jordan Rogers is maybe an example of that now all of this i believe means something as you get ready for tennessee on saturday so let's kind of start with this and kind of roll our way through it this is jordan rogers on with crane and company i guess it was yesterday i saw this on social media didn't see the show but nonetheless here's jordan rogers stetson bennett and and here's why i like how well he's playing and look and i'm a guy that thinks that everybody was talking i I think he was a liability for most of last season honestly until the very end but They don't have much talent outside of Brock Bowers. When you really look at this roster, and I have a little nugget that I threw out last week, that it has now been 27 quarters since a wide receiver has a reception of longer than 30 yards. Mm -hmm. And when you flip on the film, the reason is nobody's getting open. They don't have speed on the outside. And Stetson, I think, does an unbelievable job at using his eyes to manipulate defenders. So I think there's a couple things there I want to kind of bring up. First of all... I want you to notice something. There's a rhetorical trick that some people use. In other words, there's a little bit of a way of arguing to make someone sound correct when they're really not that you got to be very well aware of is that Jordan Rogers acknowledges, hey, I thought Stetson Bennett was a liability all year until the end. And what Rogers is trying to say there is, hey, uh, Bennett was bad until he was good. But actually, 
I think those of us who watched Georgia pretty closely all year would say Bennett was sort of the same guy all year long and it eventually just worked. In other words, Bennett didn't change the end to prevent you from being wrong. You were just wrong the entire time. And Bennett was never the best quarterback in the country, but Bennett was, as Kirby Smart told you, the guy that gave Georgia the best chance to win. And you do this thing with your voice where you're like, well, I was a, you know, I, I thought Bennett was liability all year long, but then at the end of the year, he was. No. It's not that Bennett changed. You were just wrong, okay? And, and that's a very hard word for some people in the media to, to, to admit and to acknowledge that you're just wrong, that, that Bennett was never the best, but he was good enough. And that's kind of the way that he played all year long. And, uh, you know, guys like Jordan Rodgers and certainly plenty of others have a hard time wanting to acknowledge that. However, not everything that Rodgers says in that clip I think is necessarily wrong. We would acknowledge here that Georgia probably does have a smaller contingent of proven bona fide playmakers than some of the other teams that are contending for a national championship. I just think that's true. You know, it's like generally speaking, we're pretty optimistic about Georgia, you know, on a certainly month to month, year to year basis. We're, you know, certainly, uh, you know, very high on the dogs. We have a good time with the uh, level of success that Georgia's enjoyed. But that doesn't, you know, prevent us from acknowledging the truth that there is a smaller number of proven playmakers on this Georgia offense than perhaps what exists for other teams. I think you've probably heard me say that before. It's one of the reasons why I believe, as Jordan Davis points out, not Jordan Davis. <laughs> We've talked about Jordan Davis for many years here that I guess I've got him on the brain. Jordan Rogers. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Jordan Rogers mentions by name Brock Bowers there. I absolutely believe that Bowers is the one truly proven playmaker that Georgia has on offense. And in a game like Saturday, I believe that Bowers needs to be a big part of it. And I think that Rodgers is not completely off base when he says, hey, after Brock Bowers, not sure what you have offensively. I think that's fair. Beyond Bowers, I'm not quite so sure who has proven what on this Georgia offense, especially with A.D. Mitchell injured, and I believe, I'm assuming, likely not playing. That I think that Bowers has to have a big spotlight on him. You've heard me say that plenty of times before. But even if that's true, and I think a lot of you would probably acknowledge that it is. Some of you might not, but a lot of you might. Even if that's true, I still think that there is an element of the Georgia offense that's kind of somewhat misunderstood. And when you're kind of looking at, well, how come Georgia is more than a touchdown favorite in this game when the entire world, all the folks kind of on the streets or on the Internet or whatever else, when everybody seems to sort of be in love with Tennessee right now, certainly the you know, the folks in Grapevine, Texas at the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, they were in love with them, made them number one. Well, how come Georgia is more than a touchdown favorite in this game? I think a lot of this centers around the Georgia offense and kind of a little bit of a misunderstanding here. So even though Rodgers isn't wrong about all of what he's saying, he's certainly wrong about plenty. In fact, let's go into a little bit more detail here. Jordan Rodgers kind of kind of ripping the Georgia offense. It's only the players in that offense. Here's more from Jordan Rodgers. He does it with his his drops, he manipulates defenders. He does it with his hips. He does it with shoulder rolls. He does it with his eyes. There, If you have another quarterback that was not as good at that, there's just not guys open outside of – and Brock Bowers really isn't open. Neither is Darnell Washington down the field. They're making contested catches. Yeah. So I think because of the lack of – it's not really lack of scheme. I just think it's the lack of playmakers that are getting open. It's not, not similar at all to Hendon Hooker. I think Stetson doing a really good job of – manufacturing chunk plays uh, yeah. because there's not many big plays that are available right now so as i said before the the entirety of that clip you know kind of we broke up in, in, into half there a little bit 
is kind of complimentary of Stetson Bennett, but it's sort of a the sort of backhanded complimentary, uh, you know, version when it comes to a Stetson Bennett. And if you didn't know much about college football, if you're more of an NFL fan or more of a baseball fan or something like that, and you heard a guy like Rogers saying that stuff, and you were then asked a person that doesn't really know a ton about this, hey, what would you imagine must be true of the offense in which Jordan Rogers is describing there? I guess you'd think, well, they must be averaging 17 points a game. Or I guess you'd think, you know, boy, they must be really scuffling. And yet, those of us who've watched Georgia football closely know that isn't really the case at all, which kind of leads me to the retort I always want to give to guys like Jordan Rogers. You say that the Georgia offense suffers from a lack of playmakers. Prove it. Show me some evidence that proves that to be true. Because there are a lot of people who sort of think that. In fact, there's some Georgia fans who sort of think that. Intuitively, sometimes we're like, gosh, it doesn't seem like there are very many people open right now. Or gosh, it sort of feels like the Georgia offensively is not quite what other teams are. Okay, prove it then. Give me some sort of tangible evidence that proves that's the case. And as many of you are aware, even though sometimes we all sort of feel that way, sometimes I sort of feel that way. When it comes to like sort of tangibly proving that there's something wrong with the Jordan, uh, the, the Georgia offense so much so that Jordan Rodgers would say, what he said there, you're just going to be struggling to do that. Georgia, as as many of you know, we've talked about this in the show a couple of times, they are second in the country in yards per game behind only Tennessee. They are sixth in the country in points scored per game behind, you know, just a small handful of teams. They're 42 points per game. Yesterday we were doing, at the end of our show, we do what's called an R.S. Andrews cooldown. It's a time in which I sort of take comments on video. We do a version of this on podcasts. We can do kind of a longer version on video. We've just kind of done that for a long time. And like on the fly yesterday, we were talking. I just sort of typed up and looked something. You ever have one of these things where you think you know one thing and the actual truth ends up being something else? We're talking about plays of 20 or more yards. We're trying to figure out why do people believe that offenses like Ohio State are so much you know, far better than George? And some of that's because Ohio State has a first-round quarterback, a Heisman Trophy guy like C.J. Stroud. But once again, give me some sort of tangible proof that's actually adding up to a lot more than what George is bringing to the table. And what I found out on the fly was yesterday is that on offensive plays or 20 or more yards, Ohio State has two more than Georgia on the season. Like even on the so-called sort of explosive play scale, even on that, Georgia is actually measuring up pretty well with these so-called awesome offenses. Not as good as Tennessee, admittedly, but as you also know, uh, the price that Tennessee has paid to be as explosive as it is is a defense nowhere near as good as the counterpart there for Georgia. And that is why Georgia is such a big favorite in this game. And people say, well, what about Stetson Bennett? What about what happened last week against Florida? Well, Kirby Smart was asked about that this week, too. And Kirby Smart, I think, gave a pretty even measured uh, level of analysis of what Bennett brought to the table for the good and the bad against the Gators. This is Kirby from earlier this week on the quarterback that Jordan Rogers was just discussing there. Here's Kirby. Uh, he did some really good things in the game, some elite, elite things he did in the game. Uh, he had some decisions that he you wish he'd, he'd take back. And I don't know many quarterbacks that play a game that you can't say that about. You're just trying to wipe those away because in the game of college football, including Tennessee and every team in the country, they put a ton on the quarterback to make decisions. And we do the same uh, with Stetson. So, uh, you know, he's not always going to make the right decision. We just got to make the, the right one more times. So Georgia, as I mentioned a moment ago, is averaging about 42 points per game. And against Florida, it scored 42 points. 
Georgia, I would say, is remarkably consistent when it comes to its offensive performance week to week. And last year, Georgia doesn't win the national championship if not for its offense. For everything that Georgia was defensively, they had been good defensively in previous years. But they were nowhere near as good offensively as they were a year ago. And that ability to play complementary football is one of the reasons they got it done. It probably is the reason they got it done. So fast forward to Saturday. There's no guarantee of what happens on this field. Hey, you know, no no guarantee the Georgia offense keeps humming right along the way that it is. But it is the reason that Georgia's the favorite in this game. Because while Tennessee has struggled to match anything defensively that the dogs can do, Georgia's not struggling by nearly the same measure to match what Tennessee's doing offensively. It's not quite as good, but it's not far from being as good. And maybe it doesn't seem like it's supposed to be. Maybe in theory it doesn't really work. This is a former walk-on quarterback. The wide receivers aren't former elite five stars necessarily. It's an offense that leans a lot on its tight ends. Maybe smart people say it shouldn't be working this way. But the stats speak for themselves. Last year, this year. And if you look and find some Georgia fans who feel pretty confident, no, no one's guaranteeing, at least I hope they're not, no one's guaranteeing anything for Saturday. But if you look and find some Georgia fans who are confident about this game, I think the confidence they have is born out of the understanding of this, that some things just sort of work. And somehow, some way, the Georgia offense has worked. The name I haven't mentioned yet is obviously a big part of it. Todd Munkin has figured out something that just works. It's running game. It's passing game. It's throwing punches with both hands. It's 30-something points in a game like this on Saturday. And knowing what the Georgia defense is capable of, that 30-something points that the Georgia offense should be depended on to provide, that is very likely enough to lead to a UGA victory. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented by Meriwether and Tharp, and we are go for two in 22. And we obviously know that the big one is Saturday, a big step in that direction. If you can take down the Tennessee Vols, and it is no easy feat, but this is the moment, uh, moments like these, the ones we live for. So we're really excited about all of that and happy to have you with us. If you join us 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, of course, and Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. We are so happy to have you a part of our program here today. And a big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp for making it all possible. You know, they're your source for Georgia divorce. And obviously, exciting times like this, big weekends like this are a lot of fun. But the divorce conversation is one that's not a lot of fun. I totally understand that, but it is also a reality. And so here's what I can tell you is that I think the best decision you can make in life is kind of confronting reality with whatever it provides. Maybe don't put off having a conversation that you know needs to happen. And, and maybe you've tried everything that can be tried to save your marriage and save your relationship. And obviously anyone in your position would want to do that. But there's also that moment when you realize everything has been tried and I'm in a situation where things can't get better. Things are not going to get better. Well, at that point in time, the appropriate question to ask is what to do next. And our friends at Meriwether and Tharp can help you answer that question. It's not a pressure situation. They're not pushing you in a direction. They want to inform you. They want to guide you. They want to educate you. And that opportunity to learn more about all of this begins before you even hire Meriwether and Tharp to handle your divorce situation. You can find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Uh, that's the Atlanta Divorce Team.com. And when you get there, 
what you're going to see is a lot of free resources, blog posts, podcasts, things like that, that can really kind of sort of move you in the right direction to understand more about what's at stake for you in this particular situation. Then you can have a free initial consultation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. And at that point in time, I think you kind of know what you need to know to make the next decision for yourself. Obviously, setting yourself up for more happiness and more enjoyment in the next season of your life. Our friends at Meriwether and Tharp can help you do that. They are your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com to get in touch with Meriwether and Tharp. All right, well, we're going to get in touch with Terrence Edwards here coming up in just a little bit. A lot from Terrence on Georgia, Tennessee on Saturday. Man, oh, man, oh, man, it gets his it's about as big as it's ever been. I think it is bigger than it's ever been. And so we'll talk to Terrence about that here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And Around the Doghouse today is presented by ServPro. And I want to talk more about what Georgia is doing to get ready for Tennessee and kind of what Georgia has done. Now, we talked about offense a moment ago. And I want to kind of, I guess what we're doing here is more kind of related to the defensive side of the ball here for a moment. But The thing that makes Georgia Georgia is not necessarily what happens in the white lines. I think you kind of understand that, that that Georgia's not a team. It's a program and a program isn't proven 15 times on 15 Saturdays. A program is proven over the course of every single day of a year. You've heard Kirby say these sort of coaching cliches, W.I.N., what's important now? He wants to attack the day. And obviously, we always love it in Sanford Stadium when he says, please rise, it's time to attack the day. And that's always really fun. But that's kind of just sort of more for fun. That the real way you attack the day is when no one's paying attention, when people are not watching at all, when you're in the kind of the dark off season, cold of winter, dog days of summer. That's when the real work done is done to make a great team. A great team is born out of a great program, and a great program operates 12 months out of the year. And some of that's related to recruiting. We understand that. This is still a Georgia team from a measurable depth standpoint, far deeper than what Tennessee is. But this is also one of those things where the readiness factor for a game like this doesn't just happen this week. And you've heard us talk about this before. We told you a few weeks ago that if you're a Georgia fan starting to get nervous about Tennessee, just know that Georgia has been thinking about Tennessee far longer than most UGA fans even realized this was going to be a big game. We gave you lots of substantial evidence uh, a couple of weeks ago about the likelihood that Georgia was working on Tennessee some during practice, even when the players didn't realize. Jake Fromm told us a couple weeks ago that Georgia probably kind of sneaks this in the same way you kind of sneak some medicine in with a spoonful of sugar uh, that Georgia's probably snuck in some Tennessee prep uh, a lot and maybe even prep for like Mississippi State and some of the other kind of unusual opponents that Georgia plays this year but Georgia's been doing that for quite some time you've heard us tell you that before and this week Kirby Smart kind of explained in some more detail about exactly what some of that early prep you know long-range prep weeks ago months ago beginning of the year uh, what that's like getting ready for a game like this pretty thorough and you know kind of candid from Kirby here he is on the way in which Georgia gets ready for games like this here's Kirby yeah we, we worked on them in the offseason but we work on a lot of opponents in the offseason uh, we worked on them in the bye week but we worked on two or three opponents in the bye week um, it is a challenge to get ready for because uh, they'll be the first to tell you they don't they don't watch all of your tape because they, they some of it they use some of it they don't they have some traditional formations and traditional plays, but uh, a lot of theirs is very different. It's very unique, and uh, they have a plan of attack based on how you're going to play them. It's not like they haven't seen. You're not going to trick them. You know, you're not going to show them something they hadn't seen. Uh, you got to do what you do better than what they do, and uh, they're really good at what they do. 
So this is kind of, to me, the fun thing about Georgia football. There's a little bit of an intersection here. On the one hand, you hear Kirby there talking about like the cognitive prep for a game like this. There are some things you have to know. You have to know what Tennessee's likely to do. You have to know how you're going to respond to that. You have to be aware of certain things to, to play a game like this. And we know just from hearing players talk over the years that Georgia asks a lot from its guys in terms of, hey, what do you know about your opponent? What do you know about your responsibilities? What do you know about somebody else's responsibilities so you can also help them do the job uh, that they're asked to do? We, we, we know that Georgia kind of asks a lot from its guys on that. But it's not just like, you know, mental prep because the game is obviously very, very physical. And Georgia wants to be physically tough, but an opponent like Tennessee, one of the things that makes them dangerous, and admittedly they are very dangerous coming in here on Saturday, one of the things that makes Tennessee dangerous is is that they want to kind of mute some of your physicality by forcing you to get tired. They want to run you to death. They want to force you to move at a pace that you're not quite so comfortable with. And they want to see if they can limit your physicality by just making you, you know, reach down and put your hands on your knees or huff and puff a little bit more or just move a little slower because you're getting tired. And once again, the same way that Georgia for quite some time has been preparing for what you need to know to play a team like Tennessee, they have also for quite some time, some very hard days, far removed from the start of the season, working very hard as well to be conditioned, to be in the kind of physical condition that a game like this requires. It's not a test you can cram for, but it's one in which George has been getting ready for for quite some time, and Kirby also talked about that this week. I mean, you can't get your players in shape in one week. If you're not in shape, then you did something wrong long before. So we've been building uh, towards this week in terms of since week one, the conditioning level of our players has been a concern every week for me it's one of the major concerns is are you in good enough shape because if you're not it, you can't make it up in one week so it's one of those things we work really hard on uh we i don't know how much other teams condition in the country but we do a lot because i think it's really important unfortunately we haven't had a lot of games where we had to play a lot of snaps so that goes back to if you're not playing them in the game you better get it done during the week and uh you know we, we've worked hard at it you will find out on saturday we're in shape or not i can promise you that because they they're they're gonna try to get a lot of snaps in you've heard me say a lot this week that my sort of opinion of the game is i am optimistic yet uncertain i totally think there's a chance that georgia could lose there haven't been very many regular seasons in recent years that i thought that georgia played a game in the regular season that it could lose i think that saturday is one of those if things go wrong georgia could be on the wrong end of the final score when it's all said and done here Yet I'm pretty optimistic that won't happen. I am pretty optimistic that Georgia will win. And kind of some of the stuff that you're hearing from Kirby there is the source of my optimism. I have always felt like Tennessee this year was a good team. Before the year began, I even kind of predicted them to be a good team. And over the course of the season, they've proven to be an even better team than I thought they were. No denying this, Tennessee is a very good team. But here's what I'm hopeful of. And I think I'm probably going to end up finding out this is true i'm hopeful that while tennessee is a very good team georgia is a well-established great program and in this particular case program beats team tennessee's got the quarterback it's got the offense it's got a lot of momentum right now really good team would be a threat to beat almost anyone but georgia's a program and it's a program that operates 12 months out of the year, and it recruits really talented players. It works them very hard, harder than almost any of them would ever want to work of their own choosing all year long 
to be ready for a game like this. It asks them to understand things. It asks them to push past their pain point. It asks them, to, as Kirby Smart uses this word a lot, strain. That George is a program in which straining has become commonplace. The players learn to do more than they think they're capable of doing. And that's the backbone of the Georgia program. And so what I'm really hopeful for on Saturday is, is that the things that have been in place that make Georgia a great program can overtake what is obviously true for Tennessee, which is that it's a great team. But that's a short-term story. You know, Josh Heupel is still a relatively new coach. They haven't recruited very much as of yet. They had a disastrous era just before Josh Heupel got there. And I'm sort of hoping that all of that equals good team, but, you know, unestablished program. Whereas Georgia is also obviously a really good team, but it's a good team built on the foundation of a great program. And I'm hoping that program strength shows up in a big way on Saturday. That is around the doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at ServePro. And listen, speaking of great programs, uh, obviously our friends at ServePro understand what that's all about. They've got a great system in place for you. And you really need them if you find yourself looking at some fire damage or like water intrusion damage, things like that. These are the kinds of things that can just create a mess. And that may be true for your home where you live or your business where your livelihood is based out of. If you've got kind of damage to a piece of commercial property that you own or, you know, a a home that you own. Uh, obviously you want that cleaned up put back up fixed up like it never even happened and that's what the restoration specialists at ServePro have made their lives work so my invitation to you is to check them out today servepro.com that's the website servepro.com s-e-r-v servepro.com and connect with them each franchise independently owned and operated that means you're doing business with someone who has stake in the outcome they care about your satisfaction as much as you care about your own satisfaction because much the same way you've got a a business that serves your life there this business serves their life there as well so it's always fun to kind of do business with folks kind of own that franchise and uh, want to work to help you out on all of that so servepro.com is the website s-e-r-v fire damage water intrusion whatever you're dealing with our friends at servepro can put it back together for you get it cleaned up for you like it never even happened servepro.com for a lot more on that all right so before we're done on today's show Georgia fans are once again in the spotlight going into Saturday. And once again, there are some people out there who just don't think you're capable of doing what needs to be done on Saturday, no matter how many times you've done it before. So we're going to touch on that before we say goodbye here today. We're going to get into the other big SEC game between LSU and Alabama. Some interesting stuff kind of coming out of all of that. Auburn coaching rumors are out there as well. So let's cover all of that before we're done. But for now, On everything involving Georgia and Tennessee, Uh, let's talk to a great former dog who's going to be a part of a great celebration on Saturday. It is Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, we'll say hello to Terrence Edwards here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And I talked about this a little bit last week, the 2002 SEC champ is going to be honored on Saturday and you know Terrence you were at Georgia at a very interesting time and obviously we'll get into this Saturday's game in a moment but you were at Georgia at a very interesting time it was a transition period when you know prior to you getting there obviously your brother uh, Robert could tell these stories you know Tennessee was one of the most important games you could play and they were in a very you know uh, they were they, they, that was their kind of glory era kind of just before you got to Athens 
and you were part of that transition away from that. The hobnail boot win in 2001, knocking off a top 10 ranked Tennessee in 2002, along the way to an SEC championship. And in a lot of ways, the Georgia program has been different ever since then. What do you remember about your time at UGA and the kind of the transition away from what had been Vols dominance to an era in which Georgia was kind of on top in the division? Yes, just uh, being able to remember, you know, the times when my brother played and uh, I can remember the game that he got hurt uh, when he was uh, off to the races. I think Georgia was winning in the first quarter. I think yeah. Tennessee ended up coming back and winning that game. But just being able to, you know, watch Peyton Manning and uh, those great defenses that they had, the receivers with Joe Kent, Pierce Price, uh, knowing Jamal Lewis at a younger age, going to see him, one of my best friends in the world, Deion Grant, leaving the Augusta area to go to Tennessee. So I, I just, you know, that was – I saw that growing up. Then once my opportunity came, we lost to them in 99 up there. I think that's when they won the championship or maybe the year before. Uh, we lost that game, but then we went on a three-game winning streak. And that was an important, uh, I think, statement for the Georgia program to, to get over that hump. I think Tennessee and Florida was the two teams that was fighting it out every year. And we kind of got over the hump of Tennessee, and now we're over the hump on Florida. So I think that was a, a very important part and a historical piece to our program right now, just getting on the hump. And now we're, you know, lately we dominated Tennessee. But I think in the last, I guess, 20, 20 years since I've been out, it's been all Georgia and Tennessee have only beaten us a few times in that, in that span. That's exactly right. And I, I promise we'll get to this Saturday's game. But you brought up something, you know, some things just stay with you for a long time. And for me, it's that 1995 game. That's the game in which your brother got hurt. I think that he may have taken a couple of cheap shots to the ankle there that day, if you'll allow me to say so. I think he probably did. Um, and I really think that's a game that Georgia could have won up there. And I was a, I was a teenager in 1995 for that game. And after all these years, still remember that and still remember, you know, what a force you know, Robert just came out of the South Carolina game at five touchdowns on the road there at Tennessee. And you're like, man, this is a Georgia running back right here. This is, you know, this is, you know, kind of what, what you're sort of used to seeing at UGA and obviously gets hurt. And the game kind of gets away from Georgia there in Neyland Stadium. And that's one of those from that era that just sort of stuck with me because I really did think that Georgia had a chance to win that game in Neyland back when winning at Neyland would have been a very big deal. And then, Terrence, when you look ahead to this Saturday's game, uh, obviously, you know, as a guy who understands the offensive side of all of this, what, um, you know, I guess what kind of stands out here in terms of what Georgia needs to do, what you, you know, kind of expect to see from Tennessee, but what is kind of the key to victory for Georgia here in your mind? I think here, just for the defensive stand- standpoint, is just have, having eye discipline from the secondary. Uh, if you just go back and look at the Alabama game where, their secondary uh, probably has played the poorest that I've ever seen from a Nick Saban defense because uh, their their discipline and their communication wasn't there. Uh, Georgia communication is definitely going to be the key, especially in the secondary. And uh, and one thing can, that can nullify deep passes and is getting pat, getting uh, pressure on the quarterback. And we don't have to get sacks. We just have to move him off his spot so he won't be as comfortable standing there being able to look down the field and find the open guy. So if we could get him off his spot, uh, get him running around, not just sitting in the pocket comfortably, I think that's the, the formula of, of winning. Uh, so I think looking at the Alabama game, 
being able to look at games from last year. I think, you know, Coach Smart and company is going to have a good game plan. I don't think we will see Hyatt score five touchdowns on us. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's going to be a very entertaining game because they're going to score points. Uh, it's going to be hard to just stop them for four quarters, but we just have to just continue to play. Uh, bad things are going to happen. It's just going to be who, which team can get the most stops in this game. And I think Georgia has the better defense. I think we are the team that can get stops, uh, get more stops in this game. Why do you think, and I've asked people this this week, I'm not smart enough to have the answer to this, how come Jalen Hyatt's always so open? I mean, it seems like on the five touchdowns he had against Alabama, it looked like Alabama had six guys in the field. There was nowhere near him at all. And really the Kentucky game last week was kind of a little bit like that too, where he's just, I mean, there's not a guy within 20 yards of him sometimes it seems like. And, you know, what are they doing to create this opportunity for him to have so much space to operate? So if you go back and look at it, it's like it's unprecedented the way their receivers split out. Their receivers split out two or three yards away from the sideline. So now you're putting stress on the linebackers, you're putting stress on the safeties. And they do so many switch releases that well, like I said earlier, if you're not if your eyes are not disciplined and you're not communicating those switch releases will, will hurt you. And that's what hurt Alabama, uh, why he was so wide open so lot. Either he's going to run a go route or he's going to run a dig. And those are the two routes that really stress when you have your splits that wide. It stressed the safeties and it, stress, and, it, and it stresses the linebackers. So if the linebackers try to uh, go out and cover the dig, they, they will run the football. If they try to pack the box, then that's when the windows are open for the digs and the go, go balls. And Tennessee, if you just look at their offense, they're, they're completing digs and they're, they're completing go balls and stop routes. That's what they complete. So it's, it's, it's an offense that stresses the defense. And if you just pay attention to this side, just watch their wide splits and how many switch releases they run. Yeah. No, I think that's a really interesting point. How much do you think that Georgia misses Nolan Smith in a game like this? And what do you think that Georgia does try to replace him? Oh, you're going to miss a lot of him. I mean, he's the emotional leader on the defense. He's the guy that's been there, done that. Um, we're, we're going to miss him. But, you know, Georgia recruits for this. That's, that's why they've been ranked in the top uh, two or three every year because they're bringing in guys. So now it's the next man up. Somebody else has to step up. And if you can remember last year when uh, Robert Bill had to come in and, 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 and just play, he had to come yeah. in and step up when uh, we have a, a, a key defender out with his – his legal issues and he stepped up so it's going to be uh whoever that next guy's up have to come in and and just do their job you don't have to do anything spectacular just do your job and do it well and uh but that that's one of the guys that you definitely need for this game nolan smith would definitely be missed i think there's a huge disconnect terrence that exists between those who play football and those who don't because those who don't play football only think of a football team as what happens for the 12 times we see in the regular season or in a national championship situation the 15 times they play but as you know you coach now you played obviously growing up your entire life as you as you do all of that um you know i i I think what you see is is that it's it's the day-to-day operation that really makes football football it's weight room it's it's you know running stadium steps it's all of those kinds of things and you know kirby kind of talked about that this week of hey you know you can't get 
you know, physically conditioned for this game and the week of the game. You better hope you've been doing it for a long time. So as someone who once went through all of this, you know, what is that like when it's dead of winter or when it's sort of the, the dog days of summer, when it feels like the football season is still a million years away and you're out there doing what is just not fun for anybody? I mean, you know, if you're working as hard as you can, that's not going to be fun really for anybody, but it is necessary for greatness. You know, what's that like, Terrence, going through that? And did you ever have moments during the season when you were playing where you're like, boy, I'm really glad I put in the work that I did because my job is easier now? What was that like for you? Oh, it's, 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 it's grueling. It's a grind. And I think uh, most people, if you haven't played college football, high school football, not even high school, because high school is just different than college. College is, is, is another step up. If you haven't been there, done that, you'll never understand what a college football player goes through. And that's why I try not to criticize uh, players on, on social media. I try not to, like, say somebody sucks. I just say you, you just need to play better like I did with Stetson the other day. You just need to play better. Yeah. Because I understand the time and the commitment that they do put in to be the best player that they can be. And if you haven't been through that, you haven't been through I mean, I could give you – in the winter workouts, it's 5.30 mat drills, 8 o'clock class, uh, 12 o'clock lunch, 2 o'clock workout. Then you have dinner, then you have 8 o'clock spend all night. Your day is, is, is already written out. You just don't understand from 5.30 to 8.30, 10 o'clock, you're not getting back in, into the bed. Then you're doing it all over again, again. And you're putting your body to so much stress and trauma to be the best player you could be. I just wish one day we could have a fan day where you go through a, a week of life of a football player. <laughs> Everyone can see how hard it is to be a college football player. And I know we, you know, we put ourselves out there to be criticized. That's what we do. Nobody made us do it. But sometimes I wish that the, the common fan could go through a day life of a winter workout. I want to ask you about the atmosphere on Saturday to close things out in a moment. Before that, though, before you join us, we heard from Jordan Rogers, the SEC Network, pretty critical of the Georgia offense, what he called kind of a lack of playmakers, saying the guys aren't really getting open and, you know, that, that this is an offense right now that's limited by its playmaking ability. Now, statistically, that doesn't seem to be true, but nonetheless, that's what Rogers says he sees with his own eyes. Some people would, I guess, maybe agree with that there as well. How about for you, who understands, you know, a lot of this, having, you know, played the position, what do you think when you hear a guy like Rogers say he doesn't see playmakers when he looks at the Georgia offense right now? I, I totally disagree. I, 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 you know, that's, I'm sure he gets all 22 and, and get to watch more than I do, but just my eye looking at it, there are receivers open. You, you know, I, I get a little frustrated when we see pundits on there and say they're not getting open. When you don't know the scheme, you don't know what the receiver responsibility is for. That's when I get upset. If you know the play call, if you know the, the read, you know everything that goes into that play. There's plays where receivers are not meant to get open. They're meant to get someone else open. So that's the way I kind of get frustrated. And then that's kind of when I use my Twitter and my platform to to kind of refute all those, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see uh, what what happens on on Saturday if those receivers going to get open. We do have plenty of playmakers on the outside. So I'll finish with this. I think it's the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history. Certainly it's the most expensive ticket maybe for any game of all time in terms of the response here right now. How much of an impact do you expect these fans to make in this game on Saturday? Uh, it's going to be it, – it's going to 
going to be probably one of the best atmospheres. I'm going to tell you, the, the Notre Dame, probably the best that I, as a player or a fan, the Notre Dame atmosphere was, was just crazy. That was the most electric that I felt in that stadium as a player or even as a fan. I think this is going to top that. I mean, you got the number one. I'm going to call them both number one ranked teams because we are ranked in AP. They're ranked in the college football player. Two number one ranked teams going head-to-head, and this kind of going to determine who plays in the uh, SEC championship game, who wins the East. So this is going to be a big game. I think uh, I, I think college football rankings has kind of helped the Georgia a little bit because now if you needed some motivation, you just got jumped and got sent to three. So this is going to be some extra fuel for those guys. As, as athletes, we're always looking for something to get that chip on. And this is a chip that I think they're going to play off of, and uh, hopefully they go in and play their best football. Terrence, great to talk to you. I appreciate your perspective on Georgia football here. Uh, I know it's going to be a big day there as well as the 2002 SEC champions are honored, and we're going to see you in person uh, at the UGA Bookstore for the postgame show. Isn't that correct? That is correct. I will be there. A couple of me and other teammates will be getting honored for that uh, 2002 season, and I can't wait to get into that stadium. And Terrence, I really, really hope we're talking about happy stuff on Saturday. I really, really, really want this to be a happy conversation. I do as well. And the rest of the Dog Nation, I think we're going to play well. Sure. Yeah, I really do. I think, you know, no one is giving us a chance. Everyone is, is you know, picking Tennessee. They're the best team. You know, we the common opponents that we play, we have played better against them. Just look at the Florida game. So I feel confident about this game. That Does that mean we're going to win? No, but I feel confident that I'm going to go into this stadium thinking that we're going to win and, and 100% feel that we're going to win. And these guys are going to play well. I, I, I honestly do. I honestly think they're going to play well. Uh, and I think we're going to come out victorious. Uh, Terrence, I love it. Can't wait to see you on Saturday. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you then. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Really, really good stuff from Terrence Edwards. Love his emotion. Love his analysis. you got to have guys like that that kind of understand what this is all about. And Terrence, I think, did a really good job of kind of telling you that if Georgia goes out there and gets the win against Tennessee, it's not earned on that day. It wasn't even earned during the week. It was earned during the year. It was earned years ago. A lot of coaches who spent a lot of time away from their families, recruiting players, a lot of players who spent a lot of time, they could have been sleeping in a weight room or you know running a stadium step or something like that. There is just something about wanting a little bit more. And in the, like right now, everybody wants it. Like Tennessee wants it. Georgia wants it. Every team in the country, every player in every team, of course, in the moment, everybody wants it because it's right now. But do you have the forethought to know what you're going to want later? And I don't mean to be philosophical, but that's ultimately what life kind of comes down to. Can you can you fight for something a year ago that you're going to want a year from now? And that's kind of what Georgia has proven to be very good at. And obviously, uh, if Georgia wins on Saturday, it will be a continuation of a story like that. Let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I will tell you here. I try not to talk too much about my you know, own life because what y'all care about is Georgia football. But I had a great moment last night. And last night, my wife and I got to sit our kids down. We every, like, I work a lot on the weekends. During the fall, we, I do high school football. Obviously, I'm in, you know, 
Georgia game on Saturday, which sometimes my family goes with me, but not always able to. So I'm kind of away from home a little bit on the weekends. As we try to kind of take Wednesday night as a time for our family to be together, we have a nice meal and you know kind of spend some time together. And last night we sat the kids down. We we're able to tell them this is this is a true story. This is not an ad. This this is a true story. That hey, coming up in you know sometime in early 2023. Uh, we're going to take you guys on a Royal Caribbean cruise. And we had known for a while we we're going to do that. I've, you've heard me saying we've got cruise vacations coming up. But my kids not know. They've never been on one before. And this is their first one. And I got to tell you, the, the joy that we got by telling them we're going to be going on Wonder of the Seas and we're going to be going to Nassau in the Bahamas and Perfect Day Coco Cay, a beautiful private destination called Labadee in Haiti, uh, Falmouth in Jamaica, we were able to tell them all the places that we're going on our Royal Caribbean cruise vacation to see the big eyes, the big smile. It was, I think for my wife and me, about as good a thing as we've been able to do in quite some time. So already money well spent for us because we were able to kind of share this really fun, cool moment with our kids. And I do genuinely believe that the same kind of happiness can be uh, there for you there as well. Even if you don't have kids, just you and that sort of special someone having a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation to look forward to. Maybe you're thinking about the icon of the seas, the brand new Royal Caribbean cruise ship that's coming in January of 2024 and the way it kind of sets the standard uh, for the cruise uh, industry. That's kind of what Wonder of the Seas has been, what Icon of the Seas is going to be, where you have this like incredible, not just like water slide, but water park and you know all, all the great entertainment options and the specialty restaurants and all the way in which all of this is just going to be kind of dialed up to a new level. Uh, but that's what we love about Royal Caribbean is they kind of set the standard on all of that. And I know that you're excited. Many of you have told me that you are about the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. And hope for some of you that have kind of booked your Dog Nation cruise. Maybe you've told that special someone about that. Uh, maybe there's a level of excitement for you about that. That's as much as it is for my family for the one we're about to go to in a few months here there as well. So uh, we'd love to have you join us in April. We're going to be on board Independence of the Seas. And we're going to be going to Nassau on the Bahamas in Perfect Day, Coco Cay. It's a wonderful four-night getaway, April 24th to the 28th. Uh, our friend Jessica Slater, a travel agent, she's a terrific one. She's been specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help book all of your Royal Caribbean cruise travel needs. You can call her 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also uh, find out more about the Dog Nation cruise online at royaldogs.com. That is royaldogs.com. All right, we have not talked a ton, and you would certainly understand why. We've been so busy with... Uh, Georgia at Tennessee that we haven't really kind of acknowledged the fact that there is another really big game in the SEC on Saturday and it's Alabama at LSU now let me just say this for a moment I think one of the fun things about debating the playoff rankings is kind of looking for the potential conspiracies and I say potential because honestly most of this kind of stuff is not quite that way but a lot of us have antennas up admittedly I do there as well hard not to notice that LSU 15th in the AP poll was 10th in the college ball playoff top 25 so that means with a stroke of a pen espn who televises the playoff top 25 also televising alabama tennessee with the stroke of a pen they created a top 10 matchup for themselves on saturday night despite the fact that lsu's already lost twice this year in georgia tennessee which is not on an espn owned property it's on cbs they were denied the chance to have one versus two in some form or fashion now it's one versus two via the ap poll but given the top 25 college football playoff poll georgia tennessee not one versus two so somehow some way 
the ESPN televised top 25 benefits their football game to be televised on their network and not quite so beneficial to the game that's going to be televised on another network. Maybe that's just a coincidence. Who knows? But hard not to notice. The point here is, is there are a couple of things related to the Alabama ten- uh, Alabama LSU game, which I do think are kind of interesting. I saw where Nick Saban was out. Maybe you would say this is more excuse making from him. It's not wide receivers who are hurt anymore. It's Bryce Young who's been limited. And I, I saw a quote from Saban at some point this week where he's like, yeah, it's not fair to evaluate our offense right now because Bryce Young hasn't been fully healthy. I mean, I'm just telling you, man, there's always some reason that Alabama is not quite, you know, it's rebuilding year, it's wide receivers are injured, now it's Bryce Young, whatever else. And so I guess Saban will tell us when it's okay to evaluate Alabama. I guess Saban will tell us which games that Alabama is going to play that counts. I don't know if the Tennessee game didn't count now or not. I guess you'll have to uh, find out more information about that coming out of Tuscaloosa. But hopefully Saban will be good enough to, uh, to really notify us when he believes that the Alabama games are now counting when it's now time to evaluate what the Crimson Tide brings to the table. Now, I'm being snarky when I say all that. My, my sort of official evaluation of Alabama right now is, I have no idea what to expect from them on Saturday. Do you feel like you do? Because I don't. There is a chance that somewhere in sort of the skeletal remains of this program, there is still some greatness, and there is still kind of that elite factor that Alabama has obviously had for quite some time. But there's also just sort of a chance they don't. And I, I think that going into Tennessee, I did not view that as a possibility. Going into Tennessee, I kind of viewed um, Alabama as a team that was likely to assert itself, and they didn't. And you can say, well, if it were not for the penalties and if not for the late game situation, they probably would have won. But in terms of what Alabama is, I don't think you can explain that away. I think you can look at Alabama penalties and express some skepticism about Tennessee because that's what it took for them to win the game. But I don't think you can remove the penalty discussion in terms of how you view Alabama skeptical or not, because that's kind of a part of their story. They're like two and seven in their last nine against the spread when playing away from home. That is not what Alabama used to be at all. And I just don't quite know what that means for Saturday. Maybe it's Bama still Bama and they you know put up a November to remember and they're right back in the thick of all this. Obviously ranked at number six in the playoff poll. Uh, playoff ranking they are clearly still a part of the story but I'm just not quite so sure they're that kind of team right now and this is not me being you know pro Georgia anti-Bama I'm trying to be as objective as I can be I am now kind of of the point where I just don't know what Alabama's bringing to the table and on Saturday night hopefully in kind of celebratory fashion after a big Georgia win I'll be very curious to see what that's all about. Now, on the flip side of this, Brian Kelly's been talking a lot lately about kind of where he is in his first year on the LSU side of things. And this is where things get really interesting for Kelly, because in the early stages of the season, I would say that LSU to me did not look look like a Brian Kelly team in the fact that the one thing that was always true for Kelly at Notre Dame, they had this long winning streak against unranked opponents. They had a long winning streak against teams in which they were a point spread favorite over that the one thing that Kelly did not do at Notre Dame is didn't really lose to bad teams that's just not something that that that, that Kelly really did there was a certain expected level of performance that you were going to get on a week-by-week basis at Notre Dame and in the early stages for LSU I'm not quite so sure that was true 
But now we kind of get to the portion of the season where Brian Kelly had issues at Notre Dame. And ultimately, this is the reason he left South Bend. Brian Kelly, I think, became just fully aware that he was never winning a national championship at Notre Dame. He was not going to get the kind of talent that made that a possibility. You know, in the playoff in 2019, 2020, essentially blown out in both years. Um, You go back and look at back, you know, sort of home and home against Georgia. When it comes to playing big teams, when it comes to playing more talented teams, those were just not the kinds of games that Brian Kelly was proving capable of winning at Notre Dame. He is a good coach. The avoidance of bad losses is proof of that. But in terms of being able to do more than expected, in terms of being able to exceed expectations with the Finding Irish, that's not what Kelly was doing. So all of a sudden, here he is now, a couple touchdown underdog at home with an Alabama team that might be reeling. Can Brian Kelly put his stamp on this game? Can Brian Kelly reintroduce himself to the SEC? Because remember, this was a pretty embarrassing rollout for him as LSU coach. He had the weird family, you know, uh, press conference. Not press conference. It was like really a speech from a basketball game where it seemed like he was trying to be something that he wasn't. And it seemed like, you know, Kelly, one of these guys that sometimes you're not quite so sure he's comfortable in his own skin. And that was kind of the rollout for him as LSU coach. It didn't go well. I don't think that Kelly ever particularly explained that very well. Well, now here's a chance for him to reintroduce himself and a chance for him to show that that he's just kind of a little bit sharper uh, in terms of how he's operating the LSU program than what Ed Orgeron was or maybe what Les Miles was before that. And, you know, even though those were national championship coaches, they didn't prove to have a lot of staying power. And Kelly can now prove that about himself. He can combine the professionalism that he showed at Notre Dame, and I believe that he did show that, with the excellence that LSU is going to demand from its coach. And we haven't seen excellence yet from LSU, but uh, ranked in the top 10 of the uh, playoff poll, uh, you know, looking at a chance to maybe, you know, do something against Alabama on Saturday. It is a chance for Kelly to introduce some of that. I do think this is a really big game with that in mind. One more thing here as we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I saw where Lane Kiffin during the SEC coaches teleconference on Wednesday was asked about the Auburn job. For the most part, he kind of sidestepped that in one media availability this week. You can have also mentioned the idea of Deion Sanders for the Auburn job and thought he thought that uh, Sanders would do well for that. So I, I, I do think that this year you're going to see something different than you saw a year ago. Uh, Lane Kiffin has kind of always been a very interesting coach with media and fans. But if you really look, we had a pretty aggressive coaching carousel last year. And any kind of serious way, Kiffin's name never really showed up in that. Wasn't a factor for, like, say, the Miami job or the LSU job. Some of the big jobs that came open, you didn't really see Kiffin as a huge factor in any of those jobs. In other words, the guys making hiring decisions, the people making hiring decisions, didn't seem to be as enamored with Kiffin as fans and media. This year, though, you do get the sense that things are going to be a little bit different. Everything I hear coming out of Auburn right now is that Lane Kiffin is their top choice to, to, to be uh, the head coach at Auburn. And if it doesn't work out with Kiffin, then you start thinking about whether it be Deion Sanders or Hugh Freeze or some of the other big names that might be out there. But uh, apparently making a serious run at a guy like Kiffin is something they want to do. And you also sort of get the impression that Kiffin might be willing to really listen. In fact, might be more than willing to listen. He might be eager to listen. And you, in one respect, say, well, why is Auburn all that much better than Ole Miss? Here's the one thing we know for Kiffin. Kiffin's not a good recruiter, and Kiffin, frankly, doesn't think he should have to recruit. At least that's the sense that I get. He's kind of made excuses a lot about how um, if you don't have NIL money to offer, you can't recruit high school players. Obviously, NIL is a huge factor in the sport right now. 
But to me, that's an oversimplification on the part of Kiffin. And as I said, kind of an excuse for why he shouldn't have to go out there and really grind on the recruiting trail. That's what I believe about Lane. But at a place like Ole Miss, just a smaller fan base, smaller booster base, if you want to really build up a lot of NIL resources, you have a hard time doing that. A place like Auburn, I think, provides a lot more of that opportunity. So if Auburn is serious about Kiffin, I believe they might be. I believe that Kiffin might be eager to hear from them. Now, sometimes these marriages don't quite work out, uh, even when it seems like it's kind of fated to be that way. And maybe this kind of turns out to be that same way. But I do believe we'll hear a lot about Kiffin and this Auburn job, especially maybe on the other side of the Alabama game, which Ole Miss is going to play. I think it's next week. It's coming up very, very soon. So maybe on the other side of that, we'll start hearing a whole lot more about what Kiffin may want to do in terms of leaving Oxford, something that Tommy Tuberville, by the way, once did years ago, leaving Oxford to go to Auburn. History might repeat itself in that in some form or fashion. Wouldn't be surprised if it did. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, in a moment, I want to talk directly to Georgia fans. Uh, but before that, though, speaking of Georgia fans and Georgia grads who love their university as they're spread out all across the globe, certainly all across the country, as you're thinking about Saturday's game, probably the biggest one that's ever taken place in Sanford Stadium, I want you to think about how the UG Alumni Association can help you stay connected with your beloved alma mater and Georgia fans all across the globe, no matter where you might happen to be here right now. And the website to go to to find out more about this is alumni.uga.edu. That's alumni.uga.edu. Wherever you are, whatever time of the year we're in, you can get connected back home uh, with alumni.uga.edu. You want a game-watching party? You want to call the dog somewhere where you are? They may be able to tell you more about that. You want exclusive digital downloads, video content, all of those things available for you there with the UG Alumni Association there uh, too. Um, you can also get some unique kind of special gear uh, specifically uh, for the UG Alumni Association by the UG Alumni Association. So you can get a lot of that there as well. Once again, that website, alumni.uga.edu. No matter where you are, dogs never have to bark alone. The Alumni Association makes sure of that, alumni.uga.edu for more on that all right for a couple of minutes here do you remember yesterday's show tennessee quarterback former tennessee quarterback eric ainge who you know wanted some attention got some attention kind of uh you know fanning the flames uh for georgia fans there on all of that do we have the eric ainge tweet from yesterday can we show this of what ainge had to say yeah he says playing between the hedges is overrated not that loud and definitely not intimidating it's nothing like playing in neyland stadium uh, Ainge says Vol's going to be just fine in Athens. That's what Eric Ainge had to say about all that. You remember that a lot of our golden shoe submissions are going to be related to the washed up former Tennessee quarterback. We'll get to that here coming up in just a little bit. But to me, it, it's kind of really interesting. And, you know, the, the point we made with this yesterday is, is that, that Eric Ainge's words here have a very back in my day quality to him. You know, back in my day, Tennessee was good. Back in my day, we were winning in Athens. Back in my day, you know, Georgia fans weren't doing very much. Georgia fans weren't very loud. Sanford Stadium between the hedges wasn't a very intimidating place to play back in my day. But as we've been saying to Ainge and Tennessee fans all week, listen, I don't know what was true in the early 2000s. I don't know what was true in the 90s. I can barely remember it was so long ago. But I do know this. A lot has changed since then. You may have unplugged and kind of gone away from college football for a while and the attendance at Neyland Stadium of course the last few years would suggest a lot of Tennessee fans had checked out for quite a long time you may have checked out but college football didn't stop just because you were checked out and while Eric Ainge has been busy worrying about you know 
I guess which coach Tennessee's hiring, which coach is Tennessee's firing, all the NCAA allegations and all the embarrassment and everything that's gone on there. While he's been worried uh, about that, whatever may have been true about Sanford State in the past, things have changed quite a bit in recent years. So I think the question on Saturday is, can Georgia rise the challenge and show a guy like Eric Ainge about just how wrong he is? And can Georgia do in this game what it has done in previous games? I was thinking about what happened last year in the Arkansas game. And I thought that Holly Rowe kind of doing the uh, play-by-play work down there on the sideline, I thought that she probably did the best job during the game of describing just how loud, impactful that crowd was in what turned out to be the 37-0 win for Georgia against Arkansas, keeping in mind that was a noon start. Uh, This is what Holly Rowe said about that crowd, and maybe Eric Ainge was busy doing something else, not watching the Georgia-Arkansas game, but it is a reminder of how impactful the Georgia crowd has been before and how impactful it needs to be on Saturday. This is Holly Rowe. I mean, it's so loud that you can barely even hear her speaking on ESPN last year during the game. But what she says is 110 decibels, almost as loud as a New York City subway. That's what Georgia was against Arkansas. And it's kind of nice to hear her say that on the TV broadcast because you know, it kind of validates this. But maybe she would be you know, tempted to kind of exaggerate. Obviously, good stories sound good on TV. She's speaking to a lot of Georgia fans. Maybe she's tempted to exaggerate right there. Well, let me give you the perspective of someone who's not tempted to exaggerate. Let me give you the perspective of someone who does not have you know, any kind of uh, reason to kind of pump up Georgia fans unnecessarily. There's a guy named John Neighbors. He's like a radio host in Arkansas with all of this chatter this week about what Eric Ainge has said, kind of getting attention even beyond the borders of just Georgia and Tennessee. I want to show you this tweet from John Neighbors, radio host in Arkansas. Uh, in response to Eric Ainge's tweet, I thought this was interesting. Neighbor says, I have never been in a college football stadium louder than Sanford Stadium at UGA last season, and it was at 11 a.m. Now, he means noon Eastern. He's living in Arkansas, so he calls it 11 a.m. But he says, it's the loudest stadium I have ever been in. That's not a Georgia guy. That's an Arkansas guy who saw his team wilt under the pressure and the heat that the Georgia crowd brought there that particular day. Eric Ainge says he's never seen it, but Eric Ainge also played like two decades ago like at this point in time, what Eric Ainge remembers from his career isn't probably all that relevant to uh, modern times but the point here is I even heard an Atlanta radio host yesterday uh, a, a guy that I like but nonetheless um, an Atlanta radio host yesterday saying I'm not quite so sure this Georgia crowd is going to be as loud I'm not quite so sure they're as intimidating as the Tennessee folks are when it comes to Neyland Stadium there are a lot of people that doubt you there are a lot of people who believe you can't do it. And I told you yesterday, I'm trying to get you mad. I'm trying to poke you with a stick because I want you to be even louder than you were against Arkansas. And I want the crowd in this game on Saturday to be befitting of the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history, which I believe that it is. This is a chance to impact history. One of these days, the Georgia-Tennessee game is going to be a story that we tell. And I can't wait to tell it uh, you know, from the perspective of everybody in Dog Nation coaches players fans everybody coming together to vanquish this upstart foe who thought they were going to steal some of georgia's glory and make the championship era in which georgia's currently living short-lived and that fans stood up alongside the players that play the coaches that coach to prevent all of that from happening there are a lot of people who believe you can't do it but on saturday i think it's a chance for you to show exactly what dog nation is all about 
Oh, by the way, before we wrap up here there as well, let me also uh, give one more quick shout out there as well uh, to the Durham Law Group. Because if you're hurt or injured in an accident, the Durham Law Group doesn't just practice personal injury law. They define it. And what that means is, is that for you, there's no fees, there's no expenses unless you win. In other words, uh, Durham uh, Law Group wants a positive outcome for you. And if you get a positive outcome, then they'll get a positive outcome. But if you don't get one, they don't want one. So that's what they're all about. So you can give them a call, 844-4GA-HURT. That's 844-4GA-HURT. You can also find them online at georgiahurt.com. That is georgiahurt.com. All right, speaking of Eric Ainge, a lot of our golden shoes related to him here today. And we have a lot of these to give out. Let's bring that music down just a little bit, if you don't mind. We love the fight song. Hope it's playing loud on Saturday, but I'll take it a little less loud here for right now. Uh, let, let's roll through some of these uh, golden shoes here for a moment. By the way, how about uh, D Spires1985 sending this to me saying, I figured you'd appreciate this. It's Bam Bam Bigelow as the George G doing a big splash off the top road on, on, on some Tennessee jobber, which I'm all about there. I like that. The Beast from the East representing Asbury Park uh, all the way to Athens, Georgia here. So I'll definitely give that a golden shoe because we love the idea of coming off the top rope on the uh, miserable Vols on Saturday. How about our next golden shoe here? You don't see very many knockout punches thrown harder than this. Jared shared this with me. He says this has to be golden shoe worthy. There's a guy named Chance Dog 19 on Twitter. I've referenced him on the show before. Some of you know who he is. So his response to the Eric Ainge tweet we've been talking about was, when Ainge talked about how intimidating Neyland Stadium is, Chance shared this Neyland. A lot of y'all seen this by now if you're on Twitter. And it's an overhead shot of the game from 2017 with Georgia up 41 nothing. Um, that's as close to a kill shot as a knockout punch as you're going to get on social media. Chance is a good Twitterer. And that's an example of that. So I appreciate Jared for sharing that with me. That's really well done. Probably my favorite one, though, is uh, J-Rake T because – he uses a very popular meme very, very well because, like, the point we keep making about Eric Ainge is, is nobody cares what was true in 2004. There's about half of our audience that has no memory of games in 2004. You might as well be talking about, you know, uh, Zippy Morocco if you're going to be talking about something that happened in 2004. Nobody cares about when Eric Ainge played. And so uh, Jake Ray T says uh, it's the meme of Grandma, and she says, when I was a quarterback, Sanford Stadium wasn't all that loud. And you have the uh, caretaker saying, sure, now let's get you to bed, Grandma. I mean, that's about that's about what this is. Jake Ray T nails it. Perfect meme for the perfect moment. Uh, that is absolutely very well done there by Jake. One more to share with you there, too. Uh, Bill Burton gives you this. He says, twins separated at birth. It's Josh Heupel. It's Jabba the Hutt. You know, typically we try to stay above the fray when it comes to uh, – you know, making fun of personal appearances. But in this particular case, this late in the week, we're going to pull out all stops. I think Bill's right about that. I also think somehow, some way, Bill is on something else there too. I feel like the two coaches in this game look like they're fans. Like somehow, you know, for better or for worse, like Kirby Smart is kind of the caricature of a Georgia fan. And I would say that Josh Heupel in a lot of ways is kind of the caricature of a Tennessee fan there as well. Like somehow, some way, the two coaches look like the teams that they coach which uh, I think is probably pretty interesting there, too. So lots of great golden shoe submissions. We appreciate all of those helping us create the good vibes needed for Saturday. We told you, I don't know that good vibes scientifically accurate, but we're trying to create all the good vibes we can around here. And oh, yeah, by the way, even though we are all systems go towards go for two and 22 and knocking off the 
uh, hated Vols on Saturday. Still a little bit of time for us to have a mind towards the lousy, stinking Gators there as well. Back in Jacksonville, 359 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. And we will see you tomorrow here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Tharp. Uh, and on the podcast, time now for the RS Andrews Podcast Cool Down. We'll take your comments here. And a lot of folks weighing in. Yesterday's show was about the Eric Ainge thing and a lot of folks weighing in on that. Judge Dog 31, though, on a slightly different topic, saying, in talking with some of my UGA friends, there's a lot of apprehension about this game. I get the sense that UGA folks had greater optimism about beating Bama last year than Tennessee this Saturday. Is that what you're seeing? I have to say, Judge, that that's probably not what I'm seeing. I think it's easy to forget that after the SEC championship game a year ago, optimism was not exactly riding high for Georgia in either the Michigan game in the Orange Bowl or the Alabama game in the national championship because the season ended the way that it did. I think people have a tendency to kind of misremember what the feeling was in the moment. There was a lot of skepticism about Georgia. You know, this has not been a march to glory for UGA where everybody at every step along the way has thought that somehow greatness was faded. That's not always quite been what this was. So I think that there's respect for Tennessee. I think Tennessee is viewed as a dangerous team. I, I think I hear you know, competence as it relates to Georgia. And I hear in some cases, you know, the opposite. I think this is, to me, kind of what the typical big game vibe would be. Some fans very confident, some fans a little more pensive. This probably says more about their personality type than it does the actual facts on the ground. And that's kind of the way that I see that. Uh, Sikkim Dogs 1, going back to Eric Gaines, says, Eric who? Uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of folks probably have no idea who Eric Gaines is. You have to be pretty old to even remember him as a quarterback. BDW3184 says, just wow. All I can say is that Mr. Ainge has not been to many games in Sanford Stadium. And he's forgotten that last year's beatdown in Neatland Stadium was the hand of those dogs. He says, Ainge is a delusional moron, which is certainly true. Go dogs, hate on the Vols, and done and done as far as the last part of that goes. Uh, my dog Ryan, in responding back to Judge Dog, saying, I, I don't think there is high confidence. I mean, no one's out for the season. Three of our five starting offensive linemen are injured. Best wide receivers hobbled. And our secondary is suspect best. So, yeah, I would be surprised if I would not be surprised if we lose by two touchdowns this weekend. So, my dog Ryan expressing a lot of skepticism. And once again, this is one of those things where memories can kind of fail you a little bit that. You know, Georgia made a move towards the national championship last season without its best wide receiver. George Pickens was injured for almost the entirety of the year. You know, Georgia dealt with, you know, certainly a fair share of injuries beyond that as well, including, by the way, to the starting quarterback who had hopes pinned on him at the beginning of the season. That injuries are really a part of the story, and Georgia's injuries right now are not insignificant. And certainly, Nolan Smith's kind of defensive injury that maybe Georgia didn't have a year ago, but it did lose Adam Anderson during the season last year and found a way to overcome that too. Uh, Navy Dog says, I believe in our great coach, Kirby Smart. I believe in our beloved dogs. I believe in our awesome fan base, Dog Nation. This ain't going to be Neyland Stadium on a Saturday night. This is going to be Sanford Stadium on Dooley Field. Believe our beloved Bulldogs will play their hearts out and win for numerous reasons, one of which for the great man and coach that the field is named after. Believe that after a hard-fought, close-score game, our beloved dogs are going to chalk up win number nine. Go dogs. Navy Dog, that is well said, sir. Uh, very well said. Very beautiful indeed. Uh, osmosophobe says when Ainge says that Sanford Stadium is overrated I think the overall implication isn't that it is that it isn't intimidating the way I read not intimidating coming from a former vol is they ain't going to throw mustard and golf balls at you so you don't have to worry so much never mind that we don't even let mustard into the stadium because of those lousy no good yellow jackets which is really funny he says no we won't do anything violent or classless but dadgummit we're going to do everything we can to be loud enough to keep them off their game go dogs that is really well said uh, I think that's really good too another great comment 
So very fun chatter here in the comment section here today. Hope all of you uh, have a great day. We appreciate you being a part of our RS Andrews Cooldown. Find RS Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They will show up on time, do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. You can trust them on that. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then.